This is Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Welcome back to the Lawfather podcast. As always, at the Lawfather gets you to all of our social media. 855-LAWFATHER is how you can reach us on phone or text. And you can always email me at lawfather at tampalawfather.com. I use that email just for the show. So any of our listener questions, please feel free to reach out. Uh, As we record the show here today, it's Labor Day. uh, So I just want to wish everybody a happy Labor Day and hope that everybody's having a good time. Uh, Those of you here in Florida, uh, I know it's kind of the official end of summer, the excuse me, unofficial end of summer. And those of us here in Florida, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of summer. Uh, I'm not sure uh, the summer ever ends here, except for about two weeks in February when it gets to be about 50 degrees and we all feel like it could snow, uh, although an impossibility. We uh, we are not as acclimated as those who are up north to dealing with that aspect to it. So we're going to keep today's show very, very brief and uh, touch on a couple of topics and in the past, I've mentioned uh, Case or No Case, the show that I did on daytime when I was doing some work on TV. And I would give the hosts uh, three scenarios and we'd go over and, and figure out which one had a case and which one didn't. Uh, we're going to turn that around a little bit and I'm going to give a scenario and let's look and see how that works in real life and who's at fault and what the legal world looks like in that aspect. All right. So what we have here is we have what on its face looks like a rear end crash. Uh, At the end of the crash, both cars were in the same lane and the front of one car hit the back of another car, right? Seems like an open and shut case. The car in back rear ended the car in front. Easy, right? Okay. But could there be other extraneous factors? Sure, there could, uh, and you know sometimes we we have witnesses that help us out. Sometimes we have dash cam video that helps us out in these scenarios. So let's look at this. Let's look at what how this crash happened. Okay, because in this one we actually had some video of the crash, so it helped us out a lot and it helped give us an idea of what happened. Because on its face, our client was at fault. Our client was the car in back. Our client rear-ended somebody, okay? And we represent plaintiffs who are the people who are hurt and they are seeking damages, seeking to have their medical bills and pain and suffering and lost wages compensated by the at-fault driver. So here we have the video. We look at the video and they're on a highway here in Tampa. There's a white car in front and then our car behind the white car and our car are in the same lane. The car in front changes lanes to the left, puts their blinker on, changes lanes to the left, doesn't leave the lane completely that she's in, okay? Goes over, is about three quarters of the way over into the next lane on the left, hits her brakes pretty hard, and as that's happening, our client is coming up in that same lane, accelerating through because that car is moving out of the way into the lane to the left. Our client looks to fill that void left by that car, except for at the last second, that car on the left decides to go to her right and come right back into the lane where our client is. And as a result, our client rear ends the car in front. Who's at fault? 
Okay, like I said, kind of like case or no case. Okay, except for we have one scenario in this one, but we have two people and we have two people who could be at fault. So I'll ask you, take a, take a second to think about it. Think about who's at fault in this one and how that all works. Okay, now keep in mind, we're going to treat this like the bar exam and I want you to give the best answer. Okay, think about that for one second, the best answer. So who is at fault? Is it the car in front that got rear-ended or our client who did the rear-ending? Well, here's the answer. Turns out it was a trick question, okay? Uh, in this particular scenario, they both own some fault. And it, it comes down to this. When we're talking about who's at fault in a crash like this, where we actually have video, we can watch how the entire crash happened, we have to analyze and look at what would a jury say? What would several different people say? And a lot of times when we have cases like that, we'll take and we'll take it around to everybody in the office and I'll get the office together and I'll sit down, get everybody in the conference room, show them the video. And I'll go, all right, I want you to watch this video and I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear who you think is at fault, okay? Because just because we all work in the same office doesn't mean we are all going to come to the same conclusion about who's at fault in something like that. And I can tell you, our office was pretty split in terms of who was at fault, okay? And the percentage of, of fault each person had. So if you think of it like this, you have 100% and you could have one person be 100% at fault. You could have one person be 0% at fault. You could have it be 50% at fault for each and anywhere in between. You could have 99% at fault and 1% not at fault. You can literally have every little piece. And in this particular one, the insurance company said, no, 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 we're not paying. It's not our fault. It's your client's fault. And I watched it over and over and over again. And in my mind, I said, well, I can make the argument that this is 50-50 fault. Each person's 50% at fault because, hey, the driver in front moved over. Yeah, she didn't leave the lane completely, but she left it at least by three quarters and had a duty and obligation, should have paid more attention to coming back over. Our client probably shouldn't have sped through to fill that opening, but hey, that's what happened. And you know, we get into litigation and so we filed the lawsuit, get into it. And there we go. Lo and behold, as the defense attorney and I are talking, get everybody on the same page Yep, 50-50 fault. We could easily draw the conclusion that a reasonable jury could come up with and find that both people were at fault and both people were equally equally at fault. And uh, so we did. We ended up resolving that case. Both people had a case, actually. Both of those cases actually resolved. Both of them sued each other. And both of the the individuals settled out of court and both of them had the same end results. So a little bit bizarre in that, in that sense, but that was the result of that particular case. Another piece uh, to talk about as we're talking about cases, it's uh, case day here apparently. And uh, we recently finished up a, a pretty big mediation for the office and we were all pretty happy about uh, the resolution there. If you heard the last episode, we had Scott Brown from my office in and we were talking about that particular case. Uh, there's a little nuance with that case and sometimes uh, it's interesting talking about nuances in cases. And uh, this particular case involved uh, several minor children. And one of the kind of interesting things to note 
as we're dealing with cases with minor children is that once we're in litigation, once we file the lawsuit, we actually have to get the court to approve any settlement that we get. So in this particular case, we spent about four or five hours mediating the case. We reach a resolution. Now we actually have to turn around and ask the court to say, yes, we approve it in order to make it a valid settlement. So a uh, little, little nuance there, and it only comes up with minor children that you need approval of the settlement in terms of the dollars and everything else. And, and $15,000 is the cutoff where uh, what you have to do is more stringent at above $15,000 in a settlement. And below that, uh, it's a little bit easier. It's more of a rubber stamp, if you will, by the court. But just a, a little interesting nuance here as you're enjoying your barbecues uh, on Labor Day. And uh, I'm sure you're asking those really difficult legal questions uh, as you're sitting back poolside, um, you know, have the big green egg fired up and uh, enjoying some cocktails with some neighbors. So um, that's what we're looking at here today as we're going over uh, some of the different things. And, uh, you know, wrap the show up today. Let's look at a listener question. All right. This one came in recently and it comes up every once in a while as I'm talking to different prospective new clients and trying to get a feel of what they have going on and what their circumstances are. And the question it goes a little bit like this. And I don't have the exact quote in front of me because like I said, it's a question that I get a pretty decent amount of time, but it goes, I'm unhappy with my current lawyer. I had a car crash and I'm unhappy with my current lawyer. I'm looking to change lawyers because I never hear from the lawyer or I don't, I don't like what he told me about my case or I don't like what she told me about my case or, or really for any reason, right? And the question is, what are my rights? What can I do? And uh, it's kind of an interesting topic. And, you know, sometimes it does, it does lead to interesting conversations with clients or prospective clients, that is. And so here are your rights, because I don't think everybody realizes that they do have rights in, in this situation. And the Florida Bar actually puts it that so there's certain provisions in contingency fee contracts, which is what all of our car crash contracts are. And I don't know anybody in the state that does uh car crashes not on a contingency fee. Uh, there might be, I, for all I know, there could be attorneys out there doing car crashes on an hourly fee. But what a contingency fee means is that we don't collect a fee if we don't win. So if we win, we get a percentage of the total settlement. That's what a contingency fee is. And the Florida Bar says, hey, if a client wants to fire their attorney, and go to another attorney, they're free to do so on, under a contingency fee contract. And what that person would actually owe to the previous attorney is it switches essentially to a billable hour. It's called quantum merit is the official wording of it. Essentially, it's a, a Latin term, but really it comes down to you get paid for the work that you did. All right. And the way we figure that is what hours did you spend on, on that particular case and what was the amount? So the client most likely would owe money back to that attorney. That attorney will most likely put what's called a lien on on the case with the new attorney saying, hey, I have a vested interest in this case. I'm owed money as a result of this case. So I want to make sure that I get paid uh, when this case resolves. And that's generally how that works. And it generally comes from the client. Now, uh, there's some case law out there that says that the new attorney and the client can really reach any agreement they want and... and um, 
in terms of paying that lien. And as long as that lien is satisfied, you can basically do anything you want as a second attorney. You can reduce your fee. You can take on paying the lien and uh, uh, paying that lien in whole, uh, making the client responsible for that lien. Myriad of different options, but you do have options. Uh, if you have questions, you know, by all means, reach out, talk to an attorney. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying you need to talk to me. Uh, as long as you talk to an attorney, that's that's all that really matters. And if you have questions ask the questions. And if you don't understand, ask more questions because we can only ever go by what, what we talk about. And, you know, if someone doesn't ask us the questions about what their rights are and changing lawyers, we can't make assumptions as to what those questions are, but that's the long version of a relatively short question. Can you fire that attorney? Yes. Can you hire a new attorney afterwards? Yes, you can. Uh, I would make sure that 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 new attorney answers these questions, what I just went through, and really explaining to you what you may owe to that previous attorney. But like I said, the short answer is yes, you can. And that is the Law Father show for today. Social media, check us out. A uh, big shout out to the Tampa Bay Rowdies. I know they've started their season, so go check them out this year. I think I'm going to take up soccer this year and uh, try to get a little bit of look at that since we won't be able to physically go to any Bucks games this year and uh, kind of fill that into the mix of everything. So go check out your Tampa Bay Rowdies and check us out on social media. At the Law Father gets you to all of our different social media accounts. Uh, I know there's a, a guy running around out there with a handle at the Law Father. Um, He's not the one out of Florida. Just make sure you're checking out Lawfather Tampa in case you're uh, a little bit confused about who you're getting. But that'll get you to the right spot at least. And uh, if you have any questions, Lawfather at TampaLawfather.com. That is a dedicated show email address. And you can always text or call me at 855-LAWFATHER. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Go enjoy those cookouts and the poolside and uh, anybody else who's going out to the beach. Stay safe. Happy Labor Day. Law Father out. This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. When you have a player like Leonard Fournette that Let's call it like it is. He's not been popular in that locker room. He's certainly not been popular with the coaching staff, not been popular with the front office. Well, not the only person that's had that. That's not that big of an issue, but it is factoring in, no question. They are rebuilding in Jacksonville. Some may be just rebuilding for the future and maybe destroying their teams in some people uh, their team in some people's eyes. All those things are legitimate questions, concerns, and comments. But as it relates to Leonard, it's somebody that they've been trying to trade. And they are correct. No one was willing to trade for Leonard Fournette. Why? Again, the contract. Relative, and he did. He has had some production. He's had played well at times. But people in the league know a lot of things that the public and the media does not know. About a player work ethic about a lot of things character Leonard had a lot of problems and maturity issues the LSU coaches were very frustrated with him and quite frankly as talented as he was couldn't wait to 
get him out of the building there. Talk to Tom Coughlin about him before they drafted him. And, and remember at that time, they're building that great defense in Jacksonville. and They're going to be a physical run team and get a good power back. Yes, sir, he is that. If you can get his head on straight and if you can get him to mature. The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.